And so, continuing in that vein of Eucharistic revival, I want to speak today and to reflect on the reality of Eucharistic piety. You know, sometimes our, in our world today, piety is used as a, a derogatory term, you know? Oh, they're so pious. They're so pious. It's meant as a, as a jab at people uh, who express devotion to our Lord as a, a sort of mockery. But it is important to remember that piety is a virtue, and we should strive to have the virtues. They should be lively within us, and so we should have piety. Piety is simply a, a manifestation of our love for the Lord. Eucharistic piety is a specific manifestation of that, as our love for the Lord in the Holy Eucharist. It is a good and holy thing to have Eucharistic piety. Sadly, in many places, it is lacking. We've heard, of course, in recent years, the, the pew polls of the number of Catholics who sit in the pews regularly and yet do not believe the words that Jesus Christ just told us in the gospel, that my body is true food and my blood is true drink. And if you eat of me, you have life in you. So many Catholics, unawares of the whole reality, think that they receive bread or a symbol or a sign or mere remembrance of reenactment of sorts, of something that happened so many years ago. But they are wrong. They receive Christ. And if they do not discern him, St. Paul tells us they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So does for us a great urging to us to be able to recognize the body of our Lord, to recognize that here on this altar, every single Mass is confected the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. There is no sign or symbol. It is a reality. It is Him. It is for us to know this and to have this deep within our bones and thus to manifest it in our piety, our signs of love. You have to show the Lord our love that we believe with all of our hearts. This can happen in two essential ways, proximate preparation and, and remote, proxim, uh, remote preparation and, and, and proximate preparation. Remote preparation, that being um, a bit ahead of time. We can increase this Eucharistic piety within ourselves by regularly making visits to the Blessed Sacrament, by going to a church or a church chapel, and to be able to spend a moment before our Lord, speaking to Him and listening to Him, to be able to love Him and to entrust ourselves, our day, our needs, all to Him, to His heart. It is for us to make regular sacramental confession, and thus to know that when we approach the holy altar that our hearts are clean and prepared to receive Him. It is for us to make a spiritual communion from time to time when we are unable to receive Him, and yet to express our desire to receive Him whether because that day we are unable to attend Holy Mass, or if we are at Holy Mass, we don't uh, receive the Holy Communion because we have not fasted for an hour, or perhaps we are in grave sin or some other condition that prevents us from approaching the Holy Altar. In that place, to make a spiritual communion, to express our desire to receive the Lord, knowing that one day, please God, we will. It's for us to read about the Eucharist, to read about the Holy Mass, to understand these great realities that bring heaven to us and allow us to enter into heaven. That simple things like the making of the sign of the cross as we pass by a church, whether walking by or driving by in our car, 
to reverence Christ with the sign of the cross, simply to acknowledge that He is here, that Christ is among us. He is not the God who is distant from us, somewhere off in the heavens watching us from afar, but He, out of His love for us, comes to pray, to be here with us to pray to Him, to draw close to Him, to rest in Him. These are ways which, in our ordinary life, we can increase our love for the Lord and our awareness of His closeness to us. But it's for us also to exercise that piety, particularly when we come here for Holy Mass. It is good for us to be able to show our love for the Lord in these external gestures. It is for us first to prepare our mind and heart as we come to Mass. On the way in, I know many of you drive more than a few blocks to get here, and so perhaps you may be doing, or it may be an invitation to you, to pray on the way, to pray the rosary, to pray a chaplet, to offer some prayers, to be able to reflect upon things, to simply embrace the silence, and to allow the silence to, to sink into your heart, to allow you to open your heart to Christ already, even before we arrive here in the church. When we arrive in the church to come to our blessed Lord, and to come and to silence ourselves before Him, to be able to, to speak sparingly only the things that need to be said, and not to have conversation simply for the sake of conversation. It is for us to be able to address ourselves to the Lord, to be able to come and to pray. To this also we could add, even before we depart from home, the manner in which we dress ourselves. There are particular clothings that are particular for us at certain times. It is normative in our culture to wear black at funerals, to wear celebratory clothing for weddings, to wear purple and gold on Saturdays or days when the tigers are playing, black and gold on Sundays when the saints are playing. And it is fitting for us to dress ourselves appropriately here for Holy Mass as well. We don't have a particularly uniform policy but it is for us to dress well for the Lord's Holy Mass, to dress fitting for the King, to dress ourselves not simply in whatever happens to be comfortable for us, but whatever is fitting to honor our Lord. As we come again into the church, we come and, and enter into this holy house and we bend our knees, we genuflect. Genuflect being a, a, an anglicization of the Latin words flectamus genua, which means let us bend our knee. To genuflect is to bend the right knee to a, so that it touches the ground. These are particular things. But the reality is that because we do it so frequently, sometimes we forget why we do it or what we're doing, or that we begin to do it a bit sloppily, allowing our love for the Lord to grow cold in its gestures. But to bend the knee to the ground is a sign of our humility before the Lord, that we place our knee upon the ground as a reminder that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And this is our first condition, lowliness before the Lord, undeserving to be in this holy house, and yet chosen to be here by the Lord God who calls us. In addition, our right knee. It's our right knee that is reserved for the Lord God, just as the right hand is used for blessing ourselves, the right hand of the priest is used for blessing others, it is the Lord who ascended and is seated to the right hand of the Father, so also our right knee is given over to Christ in adoration. When we genuflect towards our Lord, we genuflect on the right knee, bending the right knee to the ground. For earthly rulers, we would use the left. 
If we were to go before the Holy Father or a cardinal or bishop of the church, or perhaps before some, some Catholic king somewhere in the world, we would genuflect on our left knee because it is the worldly one, the right being reserved for God alone. It's a simple sign, a simple gesture, and yet, mindful of it, it shows the love that we have in our hearts. This genuflection is made, of course, whenever we come, we kneel before we get into the pew, but also if one were to be passing in front of our Lord in the tabernacle, if we pass the center line of the church going from one side or the other, it is appropriate for us, fitting for us, the church tells us, to turn to the tabernacle and to genuflect towards our Lord, acknowledging that He is here, that there is someone to whom we ought to address ourselves rather than simply pass by unconcerned. In a similar manner, just as there is a genuflection, the church also has a double genuflection, which I think you can put the, put the, the signs together, is simply to genuflect on both knees rather than one. This is for those times when our Lord is not in the tabernacle, but when the tabernacle is opened or when our Lord is present in exposition. It is then, Mother Church tells us, to bend both knees in recognition of the fact that He is not simply with us uh, in a veiled way, but that He is coming out to us to be with us. This is why whenever one enters an adoration chapel or departs from one, it is fitting to be able to bend both knees and to bow before our Lord to honor Him, this double genuflection being a sign of immense worship and adoration. Of course, adoration chapels have seats, so it is fitting for us to be able to, to be seated and to speak to our Lord, but at least at the end of the hour and at the beginning, and perhaps in the middle, to spend some time on our double knees, to, to submit ourselves to Christ. In a similar manner, when the tabernacle may be opened, as sometimes we're preparing before Mass or making a Thanksgiving after Mass, and the priest, the deacon, or the sacristan may go to the, to the tabernacle to open it up, to take some of the hosts to bring to the homebound, or to be able to check to see if we need to consecrate more or to consolidate all the hosts into a single vessel. And those times when we find ourselves in the church, it is fitting for us, whoever we may be and wherever we may be, whether in the sanctuary, in our pews, walking around, however, to be able to kneel in that place. The double genuflection then as well, to be able to honor our Lord, who is visible to us in a particular way. And then when the tabernacle is closed, or when our Lord has, has gone from the building, as the case may be, it is to rise and to continue as we were. Again, simple things, but important gestures. It is for us also, as we approach our blessed Lord, to prepare our hearts well to receive Him, so that we do not receive Him unworthily, but receive Him reverently and with great love and fervor in our hearts. Prior to receiving Holy Communion, it is a good thing for us to make an act of contrition. An act of contrition, if we intend it, if we desire it, is able to free us from venial sins. Not mortal sins, but venial sins. And so it is a good and holy thing to be able, as one is proceeding forward to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, to make an act of contrition, so that all stain of sin will be cast away and that we'll be able to receive Him in every grace that He intends for us. It will be there for the taking, and we'll be able to receive it, unhindered by any sin, even the smallest of them. As we come forward also, to be able to receive our Lord reverently and well, 
particularly in the manner in which we receive him physically. The church has, from the beginning, had a preference for the reception of communion on the tongue. It is only recently in the life of the church that communion in the hand has become a normative and regularized posture in so many places. But reception on the tongue is indeed a more fitting and more reverent posture. Mother Church says this, not just Father Brent. Mother Church, Mother church speaks these things. And because, again, we, we reverence the Blessed Sacrament because every particle is Christ. The Council of Trent simply and clearly teaches this. If there is a particle which we can identify with our eye that has come from the host, it is wholly and entirely Christ. That's the reason that I particularly hold my fingers together after the consecration so that no crumb being on them would fall away. It's the reason that our servers hold a patent under your hands or under your chin to receive, lest a small particle fall to the ground. It's the reason that even the altar itself, we have a cloth on the altar, but there is another one that is placed there upon which the elements of the, of the body and blood of our Lord are placed so that nothing would fall even on the, the general altar cloth, but on the corporal, which means the body. It's the cloth that catches the body, that ensures reverence to the body of Christ. It is a good and holy thing to receive communion on the tongue. I would encourage everyone to do so, and especially to do so in the manner of praying trustingly in God the Father who provides for us in our needs. Psalm 81, the Lord God speaks to us and he says, open your mouth and I will feed you. To receive communion on the tongue is simply to place ourselves in a posture of trust, to open ourselves, to be vulnerable, and to know that someone else will feed us. The Father in heaven, who comes to give us the gift of his Son, and is he who nourishes us to eternal life. I recognize, however, also that in the church today, there is the option, which all of you have, to receive communion in the hand. And if you exercise that option, I would encourage you particularly to look at your hands after you receive Holy Communion. Again, if you receive communion in the hand, look at your hands after you receive Holy Communion to identify, are there any visible particles of the host? I cannot emphasize that enough. We go to great lengths in the sanctuary to try to ensure the reverence for the body of Christ. It is my prayer that all of us will do the same, not simply those vested in priestly garments, but every one of us would have love and reverence for every single particle that is Christ. It is to look at your hand, because very often there will be a small particle on their hand or perhaps on your fingers if they, use, if they are used to receive them. And if there is a particle, consume him. Consume him. Lick your hand, lick your fingers. I don't care how you do it. Consume Christ, because it is Christ. If you acknowledge, or if you do not even look at your hand after receiving communion in such a fashion, it is very likely that Christ will find himself in this form of the Eucharist, somewhere laying on the rail, laying on the floor, sitting in your pocket, sitting in the hymnal, attached to your car door as you open it, or any number of other places. That is a sacrilege if we simply throw the Eucharist around. I think and I hope all of you will be shocked if I just took the host out of the tabernacle and just willy-nilly tossed him on the floor. My hope would be that there would be gasp and tears. 
And yet, so many simply will walk away without having discerned, is there fragments on the hand that do exactly the same? For us to be mindful of the body of the Lord, if we believe it is Him, it is incumbent for us to act as if it is Him. And so it is for us to reverence our body of the Lord. And after having received Him, when we return to our pews to make an act of thanksgiving, it is the habit of some in the church, and thankfully not so many here, to do what is known as the Judas Shuffle. Judas is the one who, after receiving our Lord in communion, walked out. He left early, and the Lord said, Judas, what you do, do quickly. And he went off to sell the Lord for 30 pieces of silver because he was more concerned about the things of the world than about the things of God. And many, too, having received the great gift that comes down to us from heaven, will simply walk out the back of the side doors of the church, ready to take on the world, having fulfilled their obligation to spend 60 minutes in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and be not too much concerned with much more beyond that. But rather, it is for us to return and to make a thanksgiving, to thank the good Lord, to thank Him profusely. It's also a great gift for us whenever we stay after a bit to be able to sing not only the, to sing the final hymn, but to be able to make a thanksgiving after Mass, to spend a moment and pray. This is actually a pro tip for those of you who are averse to traffic in the parking lot. If you would like to avoid traffic in the parking lot, stay five minutes after Mass. Most people tend to leave rather quickly, and you've got all the space in the world to maneuver your car. And you've thanked the good Lord with extra time and grace. But these are things which we are called to do, to be able to come and to prepare our hearts well for the singular gift, not because of any external sign that, that we get notoriety from others, not because others will admire us, not because others will think anything of us, anything otherwise. All of these things we do, not for any recognition from others around us, but rather because we love Christ because we want Him to know that we love Him. Eucharistic piety is the most wonderful thing. If we will be mocked for it, it is the greatest of joys. We should delight to be mocked for being too pious in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. To be such is to know that we will have a high seat in the place in heaven, very, very close to the altar of the Lord. And so as we offer this Holy Mass on this Feast of Corpus Christi and rejoice to receive once again the body and blood of our Savior, let us pray that the Lord will truly revive us in the Holy Eucharist, that He will set our hearts on flame with fire for the love of God in the Holy Eucharist, that receiving Him reverently, worthily, and well, that we might be revived and be living signs, living presences, living tabernacles for others that those who are unbelieving would come to know the love of Christ in the Eucharist, would believe that He is here, and would themselves come to avail themselves of the promise of eternal life.